0: Nine out of ten of them won't come to our church with an invitation. They just won't attend. But, but seven out of ten will engage in a spiritual conversation.
1: Welcome to the Exponential Groups podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, go to alanwhite.org forward slash podcast. Welcome to Episode 17. Today, we are looking at a case study of Mountain View Christian Church in Gresham, Oregon. This is a legacy church with a newly growing small group ministry. Founded in 1969, this 53-year-old church reached a peak in the 1990s using the attractional ministry model. Since then, their attendances waned over the years and then COVID hit. As a way to build for the future, the pastors and elders chose to pursue small groups in a big way over the last year. Today I'm joined by both lead pastor Tom Santolinas and discipleship pastor Craig Zeese. All right, Tom and Craig, welcome to the podcast.
2: Good to be with you. Hey, Alan, glad to be with you.
1: Good to have you. Hey, you guys are at uh, Mountain View Christian Church in uh, Gresham, Oregon, Uh, For those of you who aren't aware, Gresham is is not Portland. Did I get that right?
2: That is correct. Gresham.
1: So so tell us about Mountain View Christian Church. How long has it been around and kind of uh, how long have you been there? And tell me what's going on.
0: Well, uh, I'll start out there. Mountain View Christian Church was planted in 1969 uh, as a church plant from another church in East Portland, uh, there was a lot of growth potential in Gresham, and so they intentionally planted us out here in, uh, in, in the fall of 1969. So we're over 50 years old. Um, we were a prominent urban, suburban uh, community for years and years and years um, until, until that moved further southeast from us. And, uh, and, and really, we, our, our demographics have just drastically changed. Um, And so a church that was vibrant with young families and uh, pretty much upper middle class uh, people uh, has drastically changed and we've become more urban in nature with uh, the local elementary school represents over 30 languages. Uh, We have multiple families dwelling in one home together in our community and uh, really Mountain View went from being a community-based church to being a commuter church. Um, and so that's really, that's really who we are. That's how long we've been around. Um, for me, I've been on staff since 2003. I came out as a, an associate youth pastor, uh, worked as a, as a youth and children's pastor, and then became the lead pastor in 2013. And so almost nine years I've been serving as the lead pastor here.
1: So you've you've seen quite a bit of change. Now, I know Craig's been on staff since, what,
2: 1969? Yeah. Uh, Seems like that some days. So uh, I came in June of 99. So I've just eclipsed uh, uh, 23 years.
1: Very good. And what changes have you seen over those 23 years, Craig, other than senior pastors?
2: yeah 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 i've raised up a lot of senior pastors in that amount of time
1: (laughs) carefully sitting right next to you yes he
0: has
2: (laughs) no um uh, gresham um exploded in about 20 years and literally went from strawberry fields to the bedroom community of portland and i came in really on the back end of that so Um, In the early 2000s, Gresham was a community struggling with an identity Mm -hmm. um, because we were uh, really, uh, they grew up as homes, and so there still isn't a central uh, business community, a a, a really an identity uh, in our community uh, uh, for people to to gather around. And so that has been a struggle uh, in our city, and uh, we've had some of that struggle here in the church as well. And uh, I've rolled through several uh, positions here uh, and landed about the time Tom on was lead pastor uh, in in moving towards this yeah, small groups, discipleship kind of role uh, here at Mountain View. Yeah,
1: that's good. That's that's very good. Now, let's talk about you guys are in Oregon and obviously the Pacific Northwest, as well as a few other places in the United States. Um, you had a lot of covid restrictions that lasted for a very long time. I remember the first time I came out to see you guys, I went and got a sandwich in an outdoor restaurant. Everybody was outdoors. There was no front to the restaurant. I had forgot I put my mask in my pocket and somebody yelled at me, sir, would you put on your mask please? And I'm thinking we're we're outside, but it was a restaurant and there was a mask mandate. And so you guys saw that a great deal more of it. A lot of places, um, So what impact did all of these restrictions have on you guys, and how were you able to do, you know, ministry through all of that?
0: It it was challenging. Um, We, as far as Portland metro area churches, uh, we are certainly a year to, and even 16 months behind a lot of the country. Uh, So we shut down in 2020 pretty hard, uh, April 2020 and uh, no church we we already had a live stream available so we leveraged that to our full capacity we didn't have to pivot too much with that uh, because we were already providing it Um, but we certainly had a government structure that couldn't make make decisive decisions uh, very quickly and if if they were decisions and we began planning you would expect that it's going to change and so, really, we remained closed for, and when I say closed, I hope we all understand that <laughs> the church isn't closed, but you know we weren't having our gatherings for well over a year. Um, and then and then, even when we were able to gather, there were a lot of restrictions. Uh, six feet per person spread out, masks, uh, hand sanitizing stations, um so everything. we had to pivot everything else in our gatherings as far as passing communion plates and offering bags and all of that. Uh, We just had to pivot our gatherings uh, pretty, pretty substantially. And it really wasn't until this past March. So we're talking just a few months ago that the masks uh, restrictions were actually lifted and people began returning to life as, as we knew it in some form or fashion. Um, And so we, we managed Through almost two years. It was almost two long years of constant changing guidelines, restrictions, um, the amount of people who could come. And what it did to our people is it it created a fear factor in a lot of ways. Um, People were fearful of the gathering. Um, Certainly things that we saw on the news media about churches and all that kind of stuff uh, just heightened some of that sensitivity to it. Um, And so, you know, we managed as best we could. What I would say is the best thing for us, um, I, I'm incredibly thankful we were already really working hard on our group's ministry, um, getting people into grow groups, that's what we call them, grow groups, uh, getting them into small groups, because our grow groups didn't miss a beat. They they started Zoom, they met outside, in big circles, uh, they were doing all sorts of things, and if it wasn't for our groups, I'm I'm not sure that our church would have been able to survive at the
1: level it has yeah that's that's amazing it's it's really amazing how what you guys had to go through and yet you know because of groups because of your online service you guys were um uh, well prepared in, in a lot of ways i mean as well prepared as you could be It wasn't like anybody knew in advance so craig you reached out to me a little more than a year ago and you were interested in uh putting some concerted effort into your groups. What was going on at the time and what were you guys hoping to change?
2: Yeah, so we have for five years really desired to move towards being a church of groups, not just a church with groups. And like Tom said, we had been down a track for a season and we were a Bible study-based small group church. And so groups got to, people got together for the purpose of Bible study, not necessarily for the purpose of a lot of the other healthy things that happen uh, when you make the change to becoming a, a group, which is why we changed the name to grow group. And that was an intentional part of that movement. Um, but unbeknownst to me, we hit the wall that I found out as I did more and more research. And we talked that uh, we'd hit a wall and unless we'd made some drastic changes, we were not going to get to our goal in the middle of that. COVID arrived, and you know, we went to Zoom, we went outside, we measured every room in our building to see what the square footage was, to see where our groups could meet according to the mandate that the state had put out. And so literally I had people coming in and measuring square footage and telling us you know, how many people could go in this room. Uh, and so we did everything that we could in order to help groups succeed uh, that were currently there. Uh, and then it was, our two weeks turned into two months turned into a whole lot of other things. And I realized we are not going to, in any short time frame, recruit any new leaders and grow any new groups the way that we are currently doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, uh, kind of went back to school on my own and I read, uh, double digit numbers of books on small groups that summer. Uh, and, um, really landed on what uh, you have written in exponential groups and thought, you know what, I'm going to make a call and uh, I'm going to talk to Alan about his experience. Here we are.
1: Here we are. Now you mentioned at one point hitting a wall. What do you mean by hitting a wall with your groups?
2: Yeah, we got to a certain number of groups and our process for developing leaders and recruiting people to fill groups, uh, feels like it just maxed out and we weren't getting anywhere. Okay, uh, you know, I, I would have been as old as Moses if we had kept the same process to get any more, more groups going. About uh,
1: how many groups did you have at that point?
2: So we were we had about 25 uh, solid groups at that point.
1: And what was the weekend attendance, give or take?
2: Uh, so pre pandemic 500.
1: Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's a very common place. We've talked about this. It's a very common place for a church to uh, kind of get stuck or hit a wall. So you, you, uh, you read my book and, um, you know, got thoroughly confused, and then you called me. and no, I'm kidding. Um, but uh, you decided to try some things because, I mean, I wrote the book out of, you know, finding some things after my own frustration and hitting a wall. So um, I think that's what, you know, connected with us. So you decided to do an alignment series um, that you launched uh, in the new year of this year. Tell us a little bit about the alignment series. Why you chose the topic you did. Um, either of you could speak to that.
2: Yeah, I uh, kind of led the the charge in that and picked monsters in the closet because I I wanted to do something that would engage our community. So I'll let Tom talk to us a little bit about uh, beginning to understand what was going on spiritually in our community. About the same time that i was going through this we got to do something different uh with small group outreach
0: i think one of the things that's important to mention is we had 25 groups and we have a lot of great people in those groups mm-hmm. and a lot of great potential leaders but when we use the phrase multiply it was like a uh danger word it was like uh, immediately we were ghosted right because the reality is they're they, they are doing life together. Some of these groups have been together. A few of them, a handful of them had been together for 30 years. And when we start talking about multiply, they hear split and they hear, and they couldn't, a lot of our great people couldn't get beyond that as, as it just, it was a hurdle.
2: Yeah, that's a really good time. It was a hurdle for
0: them. And so that was part of where Craig sat down and, and he and I had talked, what does the future of groups look like? And he really created a, a four-step process, and we had to come to the reality of where we were at. We were kind of in between that second and third process. We have a dream down the future, but we had to figure out specifically how do we how do we recruit, how do we help people, empower people, how how do we break out of some of the rigidness that we've had as far as expectations to just get people to facilitate a group. And and I think, Alan, that's where. Uh, exponential groups and you and and some of the training, that really helped us uh, significantly. Part of what you commented, I remember our first visit, you know, hey, leave the groups that are established, leave them alone. That's right. And, And that was refreshing for us because we were feeling it and we were feeling this rub at the same time. And so some of the tools you provided, some of the things that you did really gave us the freedom to say, great, we'll leave those groups. And not to get too far ahead, but we said to those groups, you can do what you want to do. Keep, keep going down the journey you're going. And suddenly, not to create the spoiler alert, but then those groups are coming to us saying, hey, we, we wanted to do that. And, and so, you know, that was really what was part of driving us towards uh, we need some help here. We just need some guidance. We need some direction. And so that was one. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, what, what would your fear have been if I'd come in and said, oh, yeah, you need to scrap all of those groups that you have, and they all need to do this new thing? How would that have felt? We wouldn't have signed
0: your contract.
2: It would have been a no-dog. Yeah.
1: So what, what would the monster in
0: the, that closet have been? Fear of the un- unknown. Uh, yeah. Like I said at the beginning, we, our community has changed so much we don't know how to reach people in our community. And so the idea of reaching more people, a lot of those people just couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. They just couldn't see it. And so the fear was, you're taking us somewhere we've never been. You're taking us somewhere that we're actually skeptics you'll actually be able to do anyway. Mm -hmm. You're taking us someplace that really is creating some uh, comfort issues for me. And um, we needed to listen to that. And so we did, and you know, you helped with a survey, you helped give us some insight. And and part of what you said is leave those groups alone. There are people in your church who can, can help you get your goals achieved without messing with any of those. And, and that was a huge breather for us, so.
2: Yeah, and on the other side of that, our community was very clearly saying, we are interested in spiritual conversations, so. Tom had a conversation with a local church guy. We
0: have, we have a connection with a, with Expand Northwest. It's, it's a church planting organization here in Portland. And he just gave us the demographics. And he just said, listen, in Gresham, a city of 110,000, there's 77,000 people who have said we're unaffiliated with any any religion, any, any faith at all. And wow. we said, man, will you talk about the harvest being plentiful? but the workers being few that, that, that struck a chord for us. And, and nine out of 10 of them won't come to our church with an invitation. They just won't attend, but, but seven out of 10 will engage in a spiritual conversation. And so this is what sort of drove us to monsters in the closet is that was kind of our, 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 uh, our filter, this, this has to allow for us to have spiritual conversations with people who will never be interested in an invitation to attend our church. Mm-hmm. And so we focused on some mental health things with Monsters in the Closet, uh, anxiety and fear and, and the groups that, that participated in that, who reached people, invited people into their homes who weren't a part of a church, who weren't... Uh, engaged in in church at all whoa they were open to the spiritual conversations
1: yeah Yeah. so so the the attractional piece of you know everybody come like they did back in the 90s that wasn't working but the idea of come to my house and let's talk about something that's concerning to you concerning to me and let's see what the bible has to say that that works now you guys actually created your own small group curriculum Uh, for this alignment. Tell us about that.
2: We did. Uh, So we put together a team after our pastoral staff had determined the topics. Uh, And so we put together a team of volunteers from our church and said, here it is, go to town. Uh, Gave them some examples of what we might want it to look like and really turn it over to uh, some folks unbeknownst to us at the time who had connections their own, of their own to people who write curriculum and arrange and, and produce curriculum. And so, um, you know, we we bathed this thing in prayer early on and uh, God just continued to open door after door after door, largely unbeknownst to us till after the fact. So, you know, we learned, you know, you learn all these lessons along the way that you don't know that you're going to learn as you go, but, but mm-hmm. if you're willing to, Take a look and see. Uh, and so uh, we had a team of volunteers who put together uh, one of the best study guides I have had the opportunity to lead a group through uh, a, as a small group pastor. Um, they did a rock star job. Uh, and it was beautiful. Uh, to, it was beautiful to use, it was beautiful to watch them uh, come to a complete project. And draw a line under it, and be able to say we did it. Um, to hear really positive feedback from our church, um, and uh, and to see even our current groups uh, jump in and say, "Whoa!" And you know, Tom alluded to that earlier. We 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 spent it was it was six month process from the time I handed them mm-hmm. until we produced the end result. It was six months of of writing and rewriting and. Um, you had given me a book, a small little book on, on how to ask good questions. Mm-hmm. I gave copies of all that little book to all those folks. They read it. I can tell they read it because of the questions that, that they put into the curriculum. Um, and then when we got to the end result. Um, some of our small groups our our standing longstanding small groups started to read through it and, and said, Hey, wait, we, we want to do this. How come we weren't invited to do this? Uh, So so we went back through the sneak peek, talked with them again and said, you're always welcome to do this. So our target is, and and, and work through the whole thing. And yet God too had a work to do in our current groups to help them uh, with some of the same things that we knew our community wanted to engage in spiritually.
1: That's very cool. I remember back in the day when I first did this, and our established groups, we were we were going so fast, we didn't even uh, invite our established groups to be a part of it. And so some of those leaders came to me and they said, hey, can we do this or is this only for new groups? And I said, you know, well, what's it worth to you? And um, <laughs> I'm such a compassionate pastor, right? So you guys created this curriculum. And if I remember right, this was largely a volunteer team.
2: Yes. Yes, it so was. They,
1: So they, they gave it, so this wasn't go and, you know, get all the staff members on this. This was a, a mostly a volunteer team. So then you recruited leaders and connected people into groups, but you did this a little differently. And I believe Tom was kind of a leading voice in doing that, if I'm not wrong.
2: No, Tom was, uh, you know, one of the things that we learned through exponential groups is the, the person who has to, uh, really champion groups is your senior pastor, um, and it was kind of funny. So, so we did this in, in January because, in the rhythm of our community, uh, we really see our church greatest church attendance from Christmas to Easter. And so, we decided to do our alignment series when our folks gather in the greatest numbers, which is in the winter time. Mm-hmm. And so, I had written a uh, kind of an introductory for Tom to share as he, for the first week, recruited folks to host. And uh, we shared that with you, uh, just kind of to take a peek at it. And he came back and said, you scared me. <laughs> that was on me. Tom was just reading and doing what I wrote him. And I went back like, oh, shoot, I got to go back to the drawing board. So... <laughs> Yeah, it was all crazy. You guys
1: guys were becoming the monsters in the closet. We were the monsters. You're freaking them out. I I think that's
2: what I said. Tom redid a a bunch more positive approach, and and so uh, for three weeks, Tom got up and encouraged people to host a group uh, on a Sunday morning, and they did.
1: Let's talk about the result of that. How many groups did you gain? How many? And then let's talk about the people that joined these groups.
2: Yeah, so we ended up with twelve new groups. Which uh, uh, in 23 years, we've never come close to having 12 groups in any one single time, let alone any year, uh, start. Um, and uh, eight of those groups finished uh, the six week series. Uh, and we've had uh, five of those groups continue on this spring. Uh, That's and great. Those groups have reached um, unchurched relatives, neighbors. Uh, business associates, friends, um, uh, and it's been amazing.
1: And so from what you were saying before, and these weren't necessarily people that were out of the established groups, they were still meeting, but these were folks that maybe had never led a group before that, that uh, and just invited people that they knew to be a part of it.
2: Yeah. Most of these folks had never led a group before.
0: Our one prerequisite was, do you have eight to 12 friends, co-workers, or family who can um, participate with you and join you in a group? And if that's the case, you're qualified to facilitate. We'll help you. Uh, we're going to give you a guide. You're going to get coaching from Craig and some other coaches every single week to prepare you. And I think that was the first time for a lot of people who went, oh, I might be able to do this. And we had a a range. We had a couple of groups that uh, one guy particularly I think of had four neighbors, and he met with them, and he was doing a really good job until they started asking him a bunch of other questions about faith. And, And he's like, ah, you know.
1: Okay, I'm back. We're back, but now I have two Craig's. Oh, I don't know. It keeps telling me I have low browser storage. I don't know what's going on. Okay, well let's uh, we'll we'll finish and then we'll go from there. Um, yeah, Craig, your other Craig is coming in. So anyway, all right. So. Um, Tom, I'm sorry. Let's start again with what
0: you were just sharing. So we uh, simply invited people, if you had 8 to 12 friends, neighbors, coworkers workers uh, to join you in dealing with some of these monsters, then you're qualified to facilitate a group. And people suddenly thought, I do have people I would love to engage with spiritual conversations with. And uh, they felt qualified to be a... Facilitator, and we promise we'll coach you. We'll help you. There's some coaches that Craig was working with, and Craig sent an email I think every week out to these coaches and encouraged them, uh, asked them for feedback, and it was a beautiful thing for those weeks. Um, as a matter of fact, we had one guy. His name uh, I won't tell you, but he, uh, he he asked his neighbors. He said, "Hey, I'd like to do this group," and they said yes. Uh, they scratched the surface with what we provided and suddenly started asking him a bunch of other deep spiritual questions he said-uh uh-uh, I'm out I'm unqualified for this um but he did it he he tried it and he said we won't continue on but but we're we're he's opened the door for spiritual conversations that's fantastic
1: that's so fantastic so uh, let me ask you this just the last question what What's next for Mountain View? Where are you guys headed um, in the next season or with groups or as a church? What What's kind of uh, percolating up for you?
2: Yeah, so at least as far as groups goes, what's next is uh, we have been able to, uh, with the addition of an alignment series, uh, really for the first time have uh, several ways to help connect people to groups. Uh, we, we have a, a, a jump on host opportunity and an alignment series. We have some solid training for folks that come that have led a group in the past but never at Mountain View mm-hmm. just to help them understand what what we expect of groups and group leaders. And then we have a Grow uh, Groups Fair uh, in the fall that helps connect uh, folks uh, that are here and ready to kind of plug and play. Um, they come. To Mountain View, they've had a small group experience in the past and they just are ready to jump in. And they don't want to wait till January. And so uh, really, we we have a clear, multifaceted way to plug people into and to start new groups. Um, that really, I think, is going to continue to help us be uh, a church of groups, not just a church with groups.
1: Tom, Craig, thank you so much for being with me today. And um, thank you for uh, applying these principles to your church and just what an amazing result. And I'm just so happy for you.
0: Very good. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan.
1: Before we go, let me let you in on a little secret. Tom and Craig mentioned the help they received from the Exponential Group's book. The Book and Companion Workbook are the equivalent of about $3,000 in coaching. I've intentionally created these resources as a self study course so you can do exactly what Tom and Craig are doing at Mountain View. To get your copy, visit alanwhite.org forward slash books, Amazon, ChristianBook.com, or wherever you buy books online. The Exponential Groups book is available as a paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Thank you for listening.